Hey, Happy New Year. I am uh, really excited to be kicking off a new, a new year because the last one honestly kind of stunk. So we're going to try again. Um, 2020 was an intense year, right? 2020 was an intense year. And what, you know, I don't need to tell you that. I don't need to explain that to you. One of the most aggravating things to me has been listening to people say that over and over and over and over again. And I just did it again. So there you go. Uh, but, you know, I never thought that unprecedented would become one of the most aggravating words in the English language, but it really is. Every time I hear it, I'm like, oh, it's not unprecedented because you've said that so many times. Um, you know, many of you know that I absolutely despise Facebook to begin with. I hated Facebook with the burning, fiery passion before 2020. And after 2020, you know, I never would have imagined how much my disdain for Facebook could grow over the course of 365 days, but it has. It has. It's so much more than it was at the beginning of this year. You know, my family and maybe yours had an extraordinarily hard year. It was an extraordinarily hard year. And I don't know about you, but it's been a year that has made me ask questions. It's been a year that's made me ask questions of myself. It's been a year that's made me ask questions of the people around me and, and, and looking around and going, wait a minute, are these people who I thought they were? It's been a year that's made me ask questions of God and, and say, God, are you th who I thought you were? Right? I mean, that's, we just got to be, be able to be honest about that and that process. And, and so what I want to do is I just want to kind of open up a space for us this morning to kind of explore this idea of understanding our place in the world around us and in this Oxford community kind of as we go into a new year and, and to, ch excuse me, to kind of chart a course for something different. And so this morning I've called this message the radical simplicity of following Jesus because what I want to do is I want to bring us back to the bare bones, simple truths that we anchor ourselves on that we look to and say, you know, this is why I follow this guy, Jesus. Because I don't know about you, but for me, over time, you know, I get into teachings and books and uh, movies and different theories and different ideas and different things, and they get layered on top of my, you know, faith in Jesus, and, and it, that stuff all gets stirred in. You know, we all have a favorite teacher, pastor, church, whatever, we read these books, we get into all this stuff, and, and it kind of muddies the waters a little bit. And so what I want to do is I want to just encourage us this morning to peel back all those layers, and we're going to take a look at what's really at the center of why we're doing this. Because I think it's an important thing for us to do. I think it's an important thing for us to do. So much has gone on in the world around us over the last 365 days that we, so some of us have gotten confused. Some of us have stepped off the path a little bit. Some of us have, you know, taken a different path that's really not worthy of the goodness of Jesus. And so what I want to do to start the year is just set our feet back on that path toward the simple goodness of God and how amazing Jesus is. How amazing Jesus is. That's what I want to talk about today. So really, I hope that this past year in some ways has made you uncertain too because, you know, that might sound a little bit strange coming from your pastor, right? Because the, the idea is that like, you know, pastors are like answers people or people who like help people through their struggles. But 
what I think is that, you know, doubt is really scary for church people, right? Because we often think of doubt as like the opposite of faith. But I actually like to think of doubt as like the fuel for my faith. Because if we start to get scared of doubt, if we start to look at doubt and think of it as, as this thing of like, I'm starting to question this or I'm starting to doubt this a little bit, and so I'm out of faith, that's actually the wrong way to understand it. Because when you look at the way that Jesus interacted with the people around him, he interacted with a lot of doubting people, and he did so with a ton of grace. He lavished grace on those people. And because of the way Jesus treated them, they were able to walk through doubt, and it was the fuel that catalyzed great things that they did for the rest of their lives. So I'm actually, I've got two weeks back to back here, and over the next two weeks, I want to talk about some things that I think will kind of take us to the next level, so to speak, uh, in our spiritual journey as we walk out of the plague year uh, into what I believe is going to be a future that is filled with growth and, and really the goodness of God on your lives. I don't want that to be an empty promise. That doesn't mean that there won't be difficulty. That doesn't mean that there won't be things that, uh, that come and challenge us and come and stir up new doubts in our minds. But what I want to do is, again, focus on how amazing Jesus is. So, it's easy to kind of drift if we're not refocusing ourselves from time to time. Our spirituality has become entangled with other interests. It's become entangled with consumerism and phenomenalism and nationalism and tribalism and a political spirit, just to name a few things that have kind of sunk their talons into American Christianity. And so we need to peel those things back. It's my strong conviction that in order to combat these attachments, uh, we need to kind of remove some of these accessories to a pure spirituality, to purely following Jesus. And so this is Consider this our proverbial fresh start together, right? If you made a New Year's resolution and you already broke it, that's fine because New Year's resolutions stink. Unless you haven't broken it yet, then it doesn't stink. But most people break them by January 19th. Statistically, they're over by January 19th. So um, this, is, this is a different way of looking at it. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to jump in and just talk about some of these things. So Holy Spirit, I just invite you to wash over us right now with your peace. Whatever thoughts, whatever emotions, whatever things get stirred up when we think about the past year, Jesus, I just ask that you would start to meet us there right now. Start to bring those things to the surface. Bring our frustration to the surface. Bring our disappointments to the surface. Bring our, our brokenheartedness to the surface. Our, our, uh, our disappointment with with our communities, with the people around us, with people who aren't who we thought they were, with people who aren't with us anymore. Stir those things up right now, Holy Spirit. I just ask that this would be a time for, for revealing, a time for you to really come and, and meet us in the innermost parts of our spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so where is God? Where is God? I want to ask that question. You know, about 2,000 years ago, Jesus resurrected from the dead, and he ascended to the right hand of the Father, and the Holy Spirit was poured out on the church, and, and the, these people were empowered. This uh, Jesus movement of Judaism started to spread like wildfire 
all over the world 2,000 years ago, Jews and Gentiles, in an unprecedented way. And then about 500 years ago, somebody got that, I like that. <laughs> and, then, and then about 500 years after that, just shy of half a millennium after the resurrection of Christ, Rome fell. So by 476 CE, the global superpower that, that was really controlling the entire world had completely uh, come to an end. And something unimaginable, unprecedented, just a few centuries before, was essentially uh, the, the entirety of, of the Western world was in the clutches of this empire. It was over like that. It took like 50 years. And then 500 years after that, by the end of the year 1000, the Muslim world was in its golden age. So philosophy and thought and art and all these things were thriving in the Middle East. And a strong papacy started to emerge in Rome, right? So the Pope started to have more political sway, started to have more economic sway over the world. This is around the year 1000. And by the year 1100, the Crusades had begun. And, you know, the Crusades, I mean, people estimate that about three to nine million people were killed in the name of Jesus over the course of about 150 years. It's a terrible scourge on Christian history, a terrible disappointment to God, I must imagine. So you see what's happening. About every 500 years, something really significant is taking place. And then around the year 1445, the, inventin the invention of the printing press brought about the Protestant Reformation in 1517. So Christianity got a facelift, right? This guy, Martin Luther, came along introduced all these uh, radical ideas that kind of seemed to agree with the things that Jesus taught. He talked about the priesthood of all believers, right, which is something that's extremely important to us, that we are all priests of the Most High God because we've been, you know, grafted in to this amazing family by the work of Jesus, right, among other things. And this, this changed this flow of information around the world. It was unlike anything that had ever happened before. All of a sudden, people had print materials in their hands, and they didn't have to rely on other people to tell them stories and tell them what to think and, and inform their worldview because they could do it themselves, right? Amazing development. So every 500 years, the world has undergone an intense period of change that undermined not only the way people experience the world around them, but the fundamental ways that they process life. It completely changed the way that people looked at the events around them and, and their relationships and uh, their relationship with institutions like the church and nations and things like that, right? So this is happening every 500 years, and you might have realized by now that we're living in that next 500-year period. And so what I want us to, to kind of think about a little bit is that this, one of these bimillennial earth-changing periods is actually going on around us right now. I believe that. I believe that because of my own observations. I believe that because of the observations of people I trust. I think that that's happening. I mean, think about just from 1990 to the present. The internet. You know, how has the internet changed everything that goes on in our lives? The technical, technological advancement, the, the social change that has gone on right, since, since 1990. It's crazy. 
So we're living in that. And I want to be very clear about what I mean by that when I say that we're living in this period of intense change. I do not believe in escapist theologies that would, that would fool us into believing that these events are predictive of the return of Christ and that we should hunker down and we should stockpile food and we should order the latest astrology books that pretend like they're Christian to make some TV preacher 1999 richer. I don't believe in that stuff. What I believe is two things, and these are going to be the two points that we're going to kind of revisit throughout this message. Number one, now more than ever, God needs a church that represents his passion and zeal to see humanity come to the knowledge of Christ. That's fundamentally important. There is nothing that we can do that, that supersedes this. This is the mission of the church. It's not to get, you know, some cutting-edge teaching in people's hands or to sell books or to pack churches out with conferences. This is what we're after. And the second point is more personal. While the world around us becomes aggressively more complicated, our approach to spirituality and our approach to our own faith must become aggressively more simple. This is making sense? So as everything is moving faster and faster around us and the world gets crazier and crazier, We've fallen into this trap of allowing our faith, allowing our spirituality to move just as fast as the culture is and to get just as crazy as the culture is. I mean, think about it. You know, people, people are fleeing the local church to, to follow, you know, big-name preachers with big-name uh, prophecies and big-name ideas about what's going to happen in the world and so on and so forth. And I think a lot of people have lost sight of that first point that God needs a church that represents his passion for humanity. God doesn't need the church to sell books. God doesn't need the church to fill conferences. God needs the church to represent him in the earth and represent his passion in the earth. So I'm going to spend the next little while unpacking those ideas. Some of us have kind of made the mistake of believing, I'm going to say some stuff that might... Stir us up a little bit, but it's okay. Some of us have made the mistake of believing that God works the way the Old Testament says he does. Because that's actually a mistake. The Old Testament is characterized by what we call Deuteronomic theology. And I've, I've explained that a little bit before. It's a big, long word, but here's what that means. It means if good things happen to you, you've certainly been blessed. And if bad things happen to you, you've certainly been cursed. And the problem with this is that it's wrong. <laughs> it's completely antithetical to everything that Jesus said. It, it takes the teachings of Jesus and, and basically just scratches them out if we believe stuff like that. See, Jesus' prime teaching, right, the, the cornerstone of everything that, that Jesus teaches after this moment was the Sermon on the Mount, right? And so when you think about the stuff that Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the, you know, he goes on and on in this list, and it's like, well, I don't want to be like those people. People have kind of misunderstood the Sermon on the Mount a little bit. They've taken it to mean that we have to um, become that in our lives. And Jesus is saying something completely different. He's saying, no, look, for so long, you've thought that the meek 
were cursed because they were meek. You thought the poor in spirit were cursed because they were poor in spirit. But what Jesus is saying is he's saying, no, actually God is with all of them. God is with all of you. And this thought that if good things happen to you, you're blessed, and if bad things happen to you, you're cursed, is, is actually wrong. That's what Jesus is saying in the Sermon on the Mount. So we're going to continue on. That was a little bit of a tangent. Um, the Old Testament, so again, don't hear what I'm not saying. The Old Testament is Scripture. The Old Testament, you know, it's in the Bible, it's in there, it's inspired, it's truthful. Parts of it are truthful the way that a textbook is truthful. Parts of it are truthful the way that your favorite song or your favorite poem is truthful, right? Because a poem or a song conveys a feeling or an idea or a concept, we're not going to say that it's untruthful, right? Just because you might use, you know, elaborate analogy and, and, and things like that. But it's, it's absolutely true. It's communicating something that's absolutely true. The thing that we need to anchor ourselves on is that Jesus himself taught the scriptures through the lens of what we call progressive revelation, which is basically that the picture of God is getting clearer and clearer and clearer as we move through the Bible until we reach Jesus Christ. And, and Jesus himself is the pinnacle of understanding who God is and understanding what God acts like and understanding what God thinks and what he thinks of people, and what he thinks of the earth. And so we get to this point where the writer of Hebrews says the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, this is Jesus, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. We have to get this. If we're going to be able to represent God in the earth, if we're, if we're going to be able to go into a new year with a fresh perspective and scrap some of these ideas and some of the things that we've layered on top of our simple followership of Jesus, this is what we have to get. That Jesus is exactly what God is like. Jesus is exactly what God is like. There's so much clever teaching that detracts from this. There's so much stuff out there that you can read and that you can listen to and that you can start to believe that, that, would, that would tell you something different from this. They, they would tell you, this is true, and then they would pile a bunch of stuff on top of it. But what I'm here to tell you is that this is true, period. Jesus is like God. God is like Jesus. That's how it is. And so if we want to represent him in the earth He's our example. He's the one that we look to. Get rid of all that other stuff that we've read, that we've started to believe, that we've uh, stacked on top of the simple Jesus. And we have to understand how simple this truth is, that, that God acts like Jesus. He thinks like Jesus. Our focus has to be the person, the words, the actions of Jesus Christ. And, and we look for that in everything the Holy Spirit speaks to us. We look for that in every second of teaching that we consume. We look for that in every sentence of every book that we read. And if it's not there, get rid of it. God is like Jesus. Jesus is like God. So I want to take a look at this conversation between Jesus and the lawyer in Luke 10. So if you want to read with me, Luke 10, 
25 to 29. And we're going to talk about the most talked about thing that's ever been talked about. It says, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him, Jesus, to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? I love this exchange because the other times that Jesus talks about the great commandment, he's teaching it. But in this instance, he's having somebody repeat it back to him. So he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And then Jesus goes into the parable of the, great Samar- the good Samaritan. He wasn't great. He was just good. <laughs> so I want to pause here. The more, we, the more we complect and question that teaching, to complect something means just to add things to it, right? To simplify is to, to strip it away, to realize, you know, the beauty is in the bones and, and to get to the very center of what we're thinking about. But the more we complect this teaching... Uh, the more, the more we, we stray from this simple truth about who Jesus is. Because, you know, what happens here is the lawyer asks for a, an answer to this question, and who is my neighbor? And so I think Jesus gives him a very lawyer-like parable for him to think about. He's relating to him, you know, one-to-one. But what Jesus really wants us to do is simply believe what he says. You know, the parable of the Good Samaritan actually comes out of this guy like questioning and complecting this thing when really he should have just believed what Jesus said to love your neighbor. I mean, what do you think that sounds like? Love everybody, right? That's what Jesus means. He means love everybody. And so I want to pause here because this is, this is the first thing that I think we need to focus on in this new year. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. These two commandments alone are enough to keep us occupied for a lifetime. I mean, if we didn't have any of the rest of the things that Jesus said, if we didn't have any of the rest of the New Testament, if we didn't have any of the rest of the Hebrew Bible, these two things would be enough to keep you busy for a very, very long time, right? We're so distractible, right? We go from, from one book to the next to, you know, this thing and that thing, and then we have to read over here and check this out and cross-reference this. And, you know, but if we just focused on this, it'd be enough to keep us busy. So before we consider any activity, any ministry, any job, any pastime, any class, any conference, any book, teaching, we've got to run them through the lens of the Great Commandment. And, you know, there's so much stuff that sounds good to us from Christian teachers, from pastors, from professors, from theologians. I'm guilty of it, right? I I found several weeks ago that my Jesus was buried underneath the pile of all the things that I had stacked on top of him in 2020, He was stuck under there because I thought that I had found all this great teaching and all these awesome theories and all these fantastic new theologies that I I piled him under. 
And I think a lot of us have done the same thing. And I think, you know, to, to, to move that pile away, to get those things out of there, I'm not saying just throw out, you know, stop reading books, right? You know me. I mean, I still plan to read 52 books in 2021. But the, the idea that we're running these things through the lens of the great commandment is so important because even when they sound good, even when they sound right, sometimes they're not in line with that. They're not in line with loving God with everything you have and loving people the way God loves people. One of the first things that attracted me to the vineyard about five years ago was listening to John Wimber's teaching from the 80s and the early 90s and he consistently reminded people that he intended to be laser-focused on two things in ministry, to be laser-focused on two key ideas. And those two things were worship and compassion. Worship and compassion. And so, you know, here at this local vineyard church, we're part of the wider vineyard movement. And when I think about those two ideas of worship and compassion, they reminded me of the great commandment almost instantly. Because to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength is worshiping with your whole life. That's what it looks like to worship with your whole life. And to love your neighbor as yourself is compassion. And, and so I think, you know, Wimber was on something really great there. Like people, you know, people definitely elevate him probably above what he should be sometimes, right? John Wimber, I mean, he was an awesome guy, but he was still a guy. But these two things, I mean, he, he hit the nail on the head with that. So I want to pose that question to you. What would it look like if you were loving God with all of your thought life? The spare moments, the moments alone, the moments, you know, going from one task to the next, driving to work, doing that. What's going through your head? What's happening in there? Are you loving God with all of your thought life? Um your soul, right? Usually we break soul down into mind, will, and emotions. Your, your thought life is kind of your mind, but your, your will, your willpower, right? Are you loving God with, all, with everything you have, with all of the, the opportunities that you can either take or you know, let pass you by? I'm not talking about Striving, I'm not talking about working outside of yourself, right? But I'm talking about using the resources that are uh, at your fingertips. Are you loving God with all that? Your emotions. You know, what, what are our emotional lives like? Are we setting ourselves up to be able to love God with all of our emotions? You know, for some of us, I mean, for me, in 2020, that looked like counseling, right? For some of us, that might look like therapy, for, for some of us, that might look like getting really raw and open and honest so that we can get God more access to our emotions, Amen. right? Clearing the stuff out of the way. Love God with all your emotions, with all of our mind, with all of our intellect, right? Are we doing that? Are the things that we're taking in, you know, is it, is it and we don't want to be legalistic about it. We don't, we don't want to be religious about it. But are we loving God with our intellect? Are we... Let me ask you this. Are we taking opportunities to expand that? Are we taking opportunities to seek Holy Spirit to expand 
our intellect for the benefit of the kingdom, for the benefit of the people around us? Or are we spending a lot of time watching Netflix? It's just that, I mean, you know, it's a choice about what are we going to do with our time? What are we going to fill our brains with? And our physical strength. You know, I need to do better with my physical body. Are we loving God with our, with our physical body, with the bodies that he created, right? The Im- his image and likeness. Are we returning it to him as an offering? Really deep things to consider. So we get it. You know, Jesus wants us to live a lifestyle of worship. That's what we want. God loves people. He asks us to do the same. I want to love people with the same radical love that Jesus loved people with, but I don't always do it well. So what do we do about that? What are we going to do about that this year? Um, you know, my problem is that, I mean, you're probably, it's probably easy to guess what I'm going to say next, but my problem is that the TV preacher isn't getting me there, or I guess it's the Facebook preacher now. All the books that I bought aren't getting me there. The e-course I took didn't do it. Going to conferences hasn't changed me yet. Uh, being politically active sure doesn't have the power to transform me into anything that looks more like Jesus. So what do we do to increase in our following this great commandment? What do we do? At the end of the day, you know, the simple truth that my friend Micah Turnbow, who visited us recently, constantly repeats is that you will make time for what's important to you. I think he had this encounter with Holy Spirit, and I don't know, there was some, probably a dragon said that to him or something or whatever, but uh, you will make time for what's important to you. Friendship with Jesus is this simple truth that we have to tap into to raise our awareness of the presence of Holy Spirit inside of us and come closer to what's asked of us in the great commandment. We have to spend time with Jesus. And so that's where this, this second point comes in, that as the world around us is becoming aggressively more complicated, our approach to pursuing our relationship with Jesus needs to be aggressively more simple. Because if it's not, we get knocked off course. Intimacy with Jesus in worship, in meditation, in quiet time, and spending time in nature, in you know, doing all these things, in naps, um, it is our secret weapon. It is absolutely our secret weapon. And when we try to rely on things that aren't that, when we try to rely on you know, some teaching or some workbook or some course or some whatever, the bottom's going to fall out. You are putting a fresh facade on a rotten house. You're rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. It's not going to work. So spending time with God is how we receive vision for an uncertain future. I know a lot of churches will go, you know, the first Sunday of the year, and they'll have, uh, you know, this awesome prophetic word, and they'll say, here's what's going to happen in 2021, and, you know, get all revved up about it and whatever. I don't have that for you this morning. Sorry. What I do have are some, some thoughts about how you might get that for yourself. Not that a corporate vision, not that a corporate mission isn't important, you know, but we have a mission statement. We have core values. We have a vision. They're on our website. You can read them. They're good. But I want to challenge all of us to pare back a little bit on all the things that we've allowed to have our attention, to take a week without news and see how you feel. Take one full week without any news and see how you feel. You will feel transformed. And you might not ever go back. Because 
Really, the truth about it is, I mean, unless, unless you are like some way off the charts, anointed intercessory prayer person, it can wait. Like unless God like shook you out of your sleep in the middle of the night and said, I need you to keep both eyes on the news at all times and be my person praying, you can take a couple weeks off. Um, toss, toss TV, toss Facebook, just get rid of it for a while. And if you can't get rid of it and you find yourself twitching for it, that's how you know you need to get rid of it. Like the first day, if you take it off your phone and then you're like, oh, I'll just re-download this and you know, no, no, that's bad. Get rid of it. I did this thing. I made a conscious effort not to have any books around while I spent time with God. Because what I found was I would say, I'm going to take some quiet time. I'm going to spend time with God. And then I would read 100 pages of a book. He's not in there. It's hard for us to sit with, with our thoughts. It's hard for us to sit in the quiet. It's hard for us to not have something to pacify our eyes, right? But we've got to get out of the contest of you know, seeing how many screens we can get between us and the wall. We have got to figure out, you know, that unsettledness that rises up inside of us when we're not doing anything. We've got to figure out how to resolve that. Because what that is, is let me, let me give you a different way to think about that. When that happens, sometimes we start to think, oh, there's something wrong with me, you know, or I just need to uh, do this or do that or whatever. Maybe that's the Holy Spirit trying to push something out. You know, maybe there's a fear in there of not being enough. Or maybe there's a fear in there of not knowing enough, right? That's, that's mine. Maybe there's a fear in there of, of, you know, whatever it is. And when you sit there and, and that feeling starts to rise up of, I don't know how long I can just sit here and spend time with God, lean into it. Because Holy Spirit is removing something. It's so good. We need vision. We need a word from God for a new time that's coming. And I'm going to talk more about what I mean by that next week. I'm going to talk more about that new time. We're going to draw on a really cool story from the Old Testament. It's going to be fantastic. Uh, but I'm not going to stand here and do what preachers have done for years. You know, I mean, I refuse to tell you God's going to set you free in 2003. Uh, God's got more in 2004. God's going to make you alive in 2005, right? We've been doing that year after year after year. 2020 vision. How did that work out, right? We're not doing that this year. What we're going to do is we, we don't need something catchy and paper thin because that's what that is. Those are little catchphrases. Those sell books. They sell conferences, but they're very, very thin. What we need is for Jesus to come and meet us in our insecurities this year. We need Holy Spirit to uncover what's happening in our spirit and walk with us to resolve our pain and our frustration and our fear. And we need Holy Spirit to come and visit us and generate new ideas. We don't need our ideas, and we don't need to revisit the things that we've done before because they didn't work, right? This is my very, my very forward-thinking self here. Like, what we did before is never going to be good enough again. Sometimes it is, but think that way, right? Lean into that and see what Holy Spirit has for you. So what I want to do now is uh, just have a little bit of ministry.
before we start to worship. And I want to take a minute to focus in on like what God is doing around us. And I'm just going to say phones under the seats, uh, notebooks under the seats, Bibles under the seats. And this could look like a lot of different things for all of us. It could look like you know, a picture or a word that comes to mind. It could be a, a prophetic word for the next year. It could be, a, a, you know, something like that. It could be something very visionary. It could be a thought that just passes through your mind. It could be uh, an emotion that starts to rise up and you start to experience that all of a sudden. But I think God is going to come and do a multitude of things inside of us while we worship and, and while he ministers to us and while we minister to him. So Holy Spirit, why don't you guys stand if you can. And uh, Holy Spirit, we just invite you to come right now with whatever it is that we need. You know, you know what's inside of us. You know what's, what's in our minds. You know what distracts us. You know what, what has stolen from us. You know the pile of things that we've stacked on top of Jesus. You know what those things are. And so God, right now, I just invite you to come and encounter our hearts. Encounter our hearts as we stand in the quiet. Holy Spirit, I just come right now. Come, Lord. If you feel awkward about the silence, that's good. Ask God why you feel awkward about it. Jesus, right now, we just invite you to walk into the room. Walk up and down these aisles. Give us vision for this new time that we're living in. Give us direction. Walk us through pain. Walk us through uncertainty. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Worship team, you can come back up and just, you know, start whenever you feel like you, whenever, whenever. And Lord, we just, we give ourselves over to you. We give ourselves over to the truth of who you are, Jesus. We just say yes to that. We say yes, that, that Father, you are, you are like the Son, that your desires are displayed in the Son. That Spirit, you are the Spirit of Jesus. That your character is like him. That you're, you're fiery, you're bold, you're passionate, you're gentle. You're full of grace. We just say yes to all those things right now, God. More of you, Lord. And God, I just ask that as we worship, those things would rise up inside of us. What it looks like to love you with all of our heart. What it looks like to love you with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength. Give us a vision of what that would look like. Give us a picture of what it looks like for us to stand 
in the great commandment and love our neighbor. To love the neighbor that we've hated. To love the neighbor that's done us wrong. We just say yes to enemy love this morning, God. In Jesus' name, amen.